Good morning. My name is Dave Furman. I serve as one of the pastors here at Redeemer. If this is your first time here, we are delighted that you've joined us this morning. I just want to reiterate one announcement that Chris mentioned earlier. Uh, we have an evening worship gathering tonight in celebration of Redeemer's sixth anniversary. We'll start at 5 p.m. with a wonderful meal, and then at 6 p.m. we'll have a, our evening worship gathering together where we'll sing, hear God's word taught, hear some testimonies of what God has done in our midst. We'll do all that tonight at the Limeridian Hotel uh, in Garhoot in the Falcon Ballroom. So join us there. God really has done some amazing things in these six years, hasn't he? I, mean, I don't think any of us really imagined all that our great God would do. He has far exceeded our expectations, our imaginations, our prayers. He's done more than any of us have asked or imagined. And so join us tonight so that we can celebrate together as a church body God's work in this congregation. Also, as you go about this morning and later on today, you'll notice that we have 30 visitors uh, in our midst for an event called Vision Dubai, hosted by our training center. Many of these are friends, pastors, church leaders who've been involved in supporting the work here. So if you're a member of this church, you know that we are still dependent not only on the prayers of others, but on the financial support and partnership from ministries and churches from outside of us in order to exist, in order to operate, in order to plant churches. So we have many of those friends here with us today, and we have others that have joined us who are considering partnering with us in the work here. If you're here for Vision Dubai, would you just please stand for just a moment? I just want everybody to see who you are. Uh, these friends will be with us after the service today. They'll be at Algarer Center for lunch this afternoon, and then they'll be at our evening worship gathering tonight. Let's just take a moment and thank these men and women for their partnership in the gospel. Thanks, friends. We're thankful for your support, thankful for your prayers uh, to see the gospel spread here in Arabia. Well, as I thought about what to preach on this, our sixth anniversary, I thought no further than looking at Romans chapter 10. Those words that James just read, Romans 10. If you haven't turned in your Bibles already, turn with me to Romans 10. It's in the New Testament. You'll find the gospels and then Acts. You'll find Romans written by the apostle Paul. Paul was a former persecutor of the church. He was on his way to harm Christians, to hurt them, to murder them, when God miraculously converted him. The scales just fell from his eyes, and he turned to faith in Jesus. He became the leading church planter in all of Asia, and he likely wrote this specific letter on one of his missionary journeys, where he was going to plant more churches in urban centers throughout the world. And in this letter, Paul wanted to make sure the church in Rome was correctly teaching about salvation. He wanted to make sure that they got the gospel right. Well, in our passage today, Paul will answer three questions about the subject of salvation. We'll take them just one at a time. That'll serve as our outline this morning. So point one or question number one, how is someone saved? How is someone saved? Verses 10 through 11. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. The word for introduces a reason and further explanation for what Paul has just said. 
So we need to look backwards, and you'll see in verse 9 that Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the reason is that with the heart one believes and is saved, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Confession flows out of faith. If you believe, then you will profess that belief. No, these verses are really saying the same thing. Verse 10 builds off verse 9. The point is that righteousness is not a matter of works. We can't attain it by what we do, only by what we believe. This is all straight out of the Old Testament. Paul's just really quoting Old Testament scriptures. Verse 10 comes out of Joel chapter 2, verse 32, which Chris read for us earlier in the service. This isn't a new era of salvation. No, people in the Old Testament times were saved in the same way as people in the New Testament times. No, this is the way God has always operated. Verse 11 comes from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Paul even introduces it with the clause, For the scripture says... Paul wants to make it clear that these thoughts on salvation didn't originate with him. No, this is what Isaiah says. This is what Joel says. This is God's word. Paul's telling the Romans that if they come to Christ in faith, they will be both justified and saved. That parallelism is indicative of Hebrew Old Testament poetry. These words aren't two different things, but the same reality that happened to you when you believe. To be justified means being right with God. Being declared righteous. When that happens to you, you're saved. And to be saved is to be delivered out of something. If you're saved from drowning, you're pulled out of the water and you're saved from death and given life. If you're saved by God, you're saved from his judgment on that last day. No, justification and salvation are really two sides of the same coin. Both only happen to you when you believe. Well, what do you have to believe? Verse 9 tells us that you have to believe that Jesus is Lord and that he rose from the dead. You have to acknowledge that Jesus is supreme over everything. That you're dead apart from Christ. That you've sinned against the holy God of the universe and you have no way to save yourself from eternal judgment. Now to be saved, you have to raise your arms and say, my Christian mother and Christian father can't save me. My Christian name can't save me. My passport can't save me. My career can't save me. My church attendance can't save me. My ministry service can't save me. My obedience to God can't save me. My generous giving to the church can't save me. My feeding of widows can't save me. My adopting of the orphans can't save me. My good work can't save me. You have to acknowledge that apart from God, you are dead. That there's nothing you can do to save yourself. No, the only thing that can save us is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. What does the heart do with Christ? Well, it believes. What does the mouth do with Christ? It confesses. This is what hearts and mouths do. They're four. Friend, have you believed in Jesus to save you? Have you confessed faith in Christ? If you don't yet follow Christ, I urge you, I plead with you, believe in him. 
believe in the fact that God in the flesh, Jesus, came to earth, that he lived a perfect life of righteousness. That he was crucified in your place there on the cross, taken upon the full wrath of God and all of your sins upon him. And he literally, after death, he rose on the third day from the grave. And he has now ascended on high, reigning as the Lord of the universe. Oh, friend, place your trust in him. Place your trust in this Jesus, and he will save you. If you believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, you will never, ever, ever, ever be put to shame. Do you know that? If you believe in Jesus, you will never be put to shame. And maybe that's your greatest fear this morning. Maybe your greatest fear is being put to shame in front of your family or your friends or your coworkers. Maybe you're even afraid of being put to shame in front of strangers. You fear man. You fear what others think about you. Well, here's a promise for you right out of this text. You need to know, first of all, that there's something far worse than the fear of man. Something far worse than being put to shame in front of man. It's bearing shame before a just and holy God. But here's a promise for you. It's that come to Christ who bears your shame through what he endured on the cross. And you will never, ever be ashamed before God. You know, we have a friend here at Redeemer. I can't say his name, so I'll just call him Sean. Well, Sean became a Christian here in Dubai not that long ago. He came to faith. He was excited about his faith. And yet right now, Sean is in his home country. He's being persecuted by his family. His parents, his siblings, his family are shaming him. His friends are shaming him. They're not letting him return here because he's a follower of Jesus. And he was in my flat just a few months ago with a large group of people. And Sean stood up and boldly shared his testimony of faith with joy. You could just see this joy radiating on his face of this man whose life has been changed. That he knows that before God he will never be put to shame. And he just had this, this passionate joy that God had changed his heart. And he was excited to go back to his home country to proclaim Jesus there. And yet they were unreceptive. Shaming him, keeping him from coming back to us. And yet he holds on to this hope that Jesus Christ has died to save him, an unworthy sinner. His family can hide his passport. They can strip him of standing in his family. They can kidnap him. They can attempt to take away his dignity. They can order him to leave the church. But before God, he will never, ever, ever, ever be put to shame. Before God, he is valued and loved and reconciled and declared righteous forever. Now, when we become children of God, we are declared right before God, before the only eyes that really matter. Well, how can we be saved? Well, we believe with our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the next logical question is this. Who can do this? Who can become a believer? Are any of us restricted from believing? Well, that's the second point in our text. We'll answer the question, who can be saved? Well, how can you be saved? Well, you believe in Jesus and confess with your mouth. Well, then who can do this? Who can be saved? Well, we see that in verses 12 and 13. Paul says, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, 
bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't know that Paul could be any clearer, could he? Again, the word for carries the argument forward in a logical sequence. Paul's already said, you come to Christ based on belief, that's it, nothing else. And logically then, there's an easy answer to the next question. Who can be saved? Well, everyone who believes, all who confess, there is no distinction. Jews and Gentiles are saved in the exact same way. Now, earlier in the book of Romans, and I'd encourage you to just take a look through the book of Romans, maybe even this afternoon, you could probably read it in about 45 minutes or so, and you'd see as you read through the book, there in chapter 3, Paul writes these words. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are all under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. With regards to sin, Paul, is there any difference? No. None are righteous. Your heritage and your ethnicity doesn't make you immune to sin. Well, what about salvation? Well, Paul says, same thing. There's no distinction. No one has special access to God, and no one people group is denied access to God. No, this passage in chapter 10 is actually the fifth time Paul brings both Jews and Gentiles in view in the same passage. This was a big deal because those two people groups were divided in every way. Racially, culturally, religiously. Both groups were proud. Both groups were segregated. They were different and divided. No need or desire to be together. There was nothing that naturally bonded these two people together. No, in many cases, they hated each other. They despised each other. But Paul says here in our text, hey guys, there's only one God. There's not two gods, the God of the Jews and the God of the Gentiles. There's one God. That's it. One way to salvation There's one Lord over all. Whether you're a Jew or a Greek. All are sinners who can be saved through the cross of Christ. God is not obligated to save any one people group, but by the grace of God, the cross of Christ saves people from any and every people group on the planet. And yet we're reminded of ethnic barriers all over our city. People are paid salary based on their skin color. People speak to others differently based on their economic status. People are assigned jobs based on their nationality. But friends, our God has torn down every dividing wall. He breaks down all barriers and brings together all peoples together under the cross of Christ. Your heritage is meaningless for salvation. Your skin color irrelevant. Your former religion doesn't matter because God saves slave traders and murderers and liars and adulterers and human traffickers. Oh, friends, God can save anyone. 
Well, how do I know this? Well, Christian friend, because he saved you. And because he saved me. You and I are all the proof we need. Not one of us has a boring, born-again birth story. We all have a triumphant testimony of faith. Each of us who's a believer in this room has a testimony of God, the living God, taking a dead person and bringing them to life. Christian friends, do you know that you were dead? You were breathless. You were repugnant. You were wicked. You were evil. You were without life and without hope in this world. But God, but God made you alive. And the best news is that this salvation is available to all. The poor and the rich, the African and the Asian, the homeless man in Mexico and the businesswoman in Madagascar, the Hindu and the Buddhist, the young and the old. All who call on Christ will be saved. And if saved, verse 13 will be their reality. Paul says he will bestow his riches on all who call on him. Heaven awaits God's people. If you believe in Jesus, there's a heavenly inheritance waiting for you on the last day where there's no tears and no doubt and no worry and no pain and no sin and no suffering. And best of all, we will be face to face with our Savior Jesus for all eternity. Now this gospel call is available to all. But how does the gospel go out into the world? Sure, we need to believe in the gospel to be saved. This gospel is available to all. But then how does it get there? How does this call be made available to all? Well, Paul's going to tell us here. Paul's going to tell us how the gospel goes out into the world. And that brings us to our third and final question this morning. What is our role in God's plan of salvation? Point number three. What is our role in God's plan of salvation. Verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And the logic goes like this. How can they confess Christ as Lord if they haven't first believed? How can they believe if they haven't heard about Jesus? How can they hear about Jesus if someone hasn't told them? And how can someone tell them about Jesus if no one has sent them out for the task? The mention of preaching here shouldn't confuse us to think that all Paul has in view is the Friday morning sermon. No, that verb for preaching is to be a herald. It's, it's the word used for someone who's been given a message and then told to share it with others. It's the job of every Christian. And to be honest, as you're reading through this passage this morning, many of you studied it in your community groups this past week with others. You're probably thinking, 
This passage isn't very complicated to understand. It makes sense. Maybe you're thinking, Pastor Dave, when are you going to get to the more complicated stuff? Well, friend, this is it. This text is not too hard to understand. But, oh, it's ever so difficult to apply to our lives. Redeemer Church of Dubai, people will not call upon the name of the Lord if we don't tell them about Jesus. It's a simple and as difficult as that. To see men, women, and children believe upon Jesus, we must tell them the gospel. There are churches around the world raising money and training leaders to go to the 1040 window. The 1040 window is a region in the eastern hemisphere located between 10 degrees and 40 degrees north of the equator. It's home to 3 billion people, most of which come from unreached and least reached people groups. 14 million North African Berbers, 40 million West Africans, 800 million Northern Chinese, 75 million on the Arabian Peninsula, most of whom have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Churches around the world are praying for more workers to go to the 1040 window, for more churches to be started here. And the most amazing thing is, you're sitting right in the middle of it. Dubai is in the geographic center of that window where most of the world's unreached and least-reached people groups live. And even better, many of those people groups have moved to live here in our city. The sidewalks you walk on, the elevator in your building, the metro you ride to work, the grocery store you shop at. These everyday ordinary places make up one of the most strategic locations in the entire world to reach unreached people. The Great Commission calls Christ followers to go to the outermost parts of the earth to proclaim the good news of the gospel to those who haven't heard. But friends, you're here. You're here. You don't need to pack up and move away. I'm not calling you to go home today, grab your suitcase, pack up, and leave. Now, God may call you someday to go to another location to proclaim the good news of Jesus. But if you want to tell unreached people about Jesus, you don't need to go anywhere. Except perhaps to your neighbor's flat. Or downstairs to the shopkeeper. Or to the conference room at work, to the locker down the hall at school. Christian, God didn't bring you here to further your career. He didn't bring you here merely for your education or to make a name for yourself. God brought you here to make a name for himself and to herald the good news of the gospel to the world. The government or your business or hotel or restaurant you're working for, they may be paying you. They may be giving you a visa to be here for some particular work. But you need to realize that everywhere you go, realize that God has sent you to proclaim the gospel to the nations. That's why you're here. God didn't bring you here by accident. 
It wasn't a job that brought you here. It was God. It was God who brought you to Ajman and to Sharjah and to Dira and to Bur Dubai and to Jumeirah and to Karama and to Barsha and to Sheikh Zayed Road and to Garhud and to Murdaf and to International City. It was God who brought you to those neighborhoods. It was God who brought you to your job. It was God who brought you to your friendships. It was God who brought you to this church. It was God who brought you to your apartment. It was God who brought you to your villa. He brought you to proclaim Christ to the nations, whether you knew it at the time or not. Maybe you thought you were moving here for a different reason. Don't buy into the lie of Dubai that says you're here for yourself. No, you're here for God. So, Redeemer family, what are you going to do about God's command to go to the nations? Well, here's your homework this week. I want you to ask yourself this question. Where is God sending me? Where is God sending me right now? I want you to ask yourself the question, then I want you to ask and someone else that question and talk to someone. Maybe today at Aguerrero Center Food Court for lunch, maybe over dinner with your family, maybe over coffee with a friend this week, just to ask the question, where is God sending me? And I don't mean away from here. The question I want you to ask is, where is he already sending me on a daily basis? If you work as an engineer, you need to know that every day you are being sent by God to your office or manufacturing plant. If you're a nurse or a midwife, you're being sent to that hospital every day. Every morning when you go to your office or hotel or school, you're being sent. Yes, you should learn. Yes, you should work. But you're sent to that place as God's ambassador. Friend, when you step into the store to pick up something, go to that store as one being sent by God. When you enter a government office, you're sent by God. And when you get frustrated and your errand fails and you have to go to yet another office, don't lose heart. It's God who is sending you there. Parents, when you walk your children up to their classrooms at school, you're not just dropping them off at school. You're going as one sent by God. Students, God is sending you to school every day. Yes, you should certainly study hard and make good marks. But you're there being sent into those hallways. You're there being sent into your sports practices and cafeterias by God. If you're sick and you have to go to the doctor or hospital, go and get better and go as someone whom God is sending there. Gloria and I have a friend who has incredible back pain. She is here doing ministry in this country, loves sharing her faith, and she has incredible back pain. She has to leave Dubai and go to Germany every month. And when she goes to Germany every month, she has to go for two weeks at a time. So she's essentially splitting her time between the UAE and between Germany every month. But rather than being discouraged, rather than being despondent about it, she went to Germany as one being sent by God. And so she started a refugee ministry there, proclaiming the gospel to refugees who have been kicked out or have had to leave their country. She's gone to Germany as one being sent by God. Redeemer Church, make choices that an ambassador of God would make. 
Pick shopkeepers you can build a relationship with, not necessarily the one with the best prices. Pay an extra durham for shawarma because your friends hang out at that shawarma stand. Instead of being upset that shopkeepers follow and follow you around at the store and hover over you, realize that they are a captive audience to build a friendship and proclaim the good news. Ask to meet the manager at a restaurant you're eating at and tell them how much you love the food and the service. Linger at the water cooler or the coffee machine and make friends with your coworkers so that you can invite them to your community group. Help other employees with their tasks and job responsibilities. Make them look good in front of their boss. Pause your life for a moment to encourage the men washing cars in the mall parking garages. Buy them a drink and tell them thanks. Invite them to our church service. Invite your neighbors over for a meal and tell them why you're here. Tell them that you're a believer in Christ. Tell them your testimony of faith. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you when someone asks what you believe. If they don't hear your voice speaking the gospel to them, how will they hear his voice calling them? Well, the answer is they may never hear. And that's why we're here. It's a remarkable privilege to tell people the good news that can save them. Look at the end of verse 15. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Those closing words were first spoken in Isaiah chapter 52 about those who brought Jerusalem the good news that their captivity in Babylon was over. It was great news. They were free of bondage. They could return home. They were free from Babylon. It was, it was wonderful news. But how much better to bring good news of freedom from eternal death and bondage. Now, it's interesting that Paul here chose feet as the beautiful parts of the body. Feet aren't usually the first thing that come to my mind when I think of beauty. I don't think I've ever looked down at my feet and thought, wow, now there they are in all their glory. True beauty. Not sure you've ever talked about your feet that way. And if you have, you should probably go get counseling after the service. (laughs) Be rather awkward. But messengers in that day traveled on foot. They traveled with sandals. Their feet would get ragged and filthy after a long journey. But to those who awaited the news, they were beautiful. Because those feet represented something. They signified the labor and the toil and the hardship of someone who brought them the news. Especially the good news of the gospel. The beautiful feet are not tanned. They're not perfectly manicured or soft. Beautiful feet are worn. They're dirty. They're bloody. They're wrinkled feet that have walked kilometers of taking the good news to the nations. Oh, friends, many in our nation, including our church, are beneficiaries of beautiful feet here in Arabia. You and I exist in this country. You and I are gathered in this ballroom today because of beautiful feet. Because of worn, ragged, and bloody feet that have gone before us. The Redeemer Church of Dubai was planted six years ago on this very day. But our church owes its heritage to those who came long before we arrived. 
we're a part of a much bigger picture of what God has done and is doing in the UAE. I don't know how many prayers have been prayed for the people of this country over the years, but I do know one powerful prayer of a son to his father. In John chapter 17, on the eve of his betrayal, Jesus prayed these words. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Surely the father is answering his son with a resounding yes. God is bringing men, women, and children to Christ in this land. And hear the testimony of some of the men and women who have been here before us. Hear this testimony of the beautiful feet that have gone before us. Starting with over a hundred years ago, there was a man named Samuel Zwamer who came across the Atlantic to bring the gospel to the Arabian Peninsula. Samuel was told not to go, that it was too dangerous, that the land was too barren, that no one's going to come to faith. And yet Samuel came anyway. He came without a team. He came alone. He came when everyone told him not to go, and he came to this land merely with the good news of the gospel. And over 14 years here, he really only saw a handful of converts. In Bahrain, you can actually go to, a, if, to get special permission to get a gate unlocked to walk to a small cemetery where you could see multiple graves of his children who died here. He faced devastation and difficulty, but he pressed on for a decade and a half. And his example was a tremendous soul-stirring example for many that it's estimated that around 14,000 young people were mobilized for mission because of Samuel's boldness and perseverance. If it wasn't for Zwamer's sacrifice and persistence and adversity, we may not be here today. Oh, oh, how beautiful were the feet of Samuel Zwamer, who preached the good news in Arabia. Later on in 1960, there were a group of missionaries led by Pat and Marion Kennedy, who first came alone to Elaine, United Arab Emirates, to start a Christian-run hospital at the invitation of His Highness. The hospital initially was operated out of a mud hut. After they took the mud hut down, they built a room of palm fronds that were destroyed by a fire. And then three years later, built a small concrete room. They had a hard time along the way. During those days, there was no electricity. There was no running water. I mean, just imagine a day in July during our infamous summer heat. No place to refrigerate IV fluids. And so they took a recipe that they had written and they took water and salt and sugar and would make fresh IVs along the way. They had no team. They came alone. So they did everything. They cleaned all the rooms, changed all the beds. They did all the preparation, did all the maintenance. They didn't take any vacations because no replacement doctors were available. And within two months, over 200 patients arrived every morning on foot and on camel to see these doctors. Most of the family members of the Al-Nahyan dynasty, the president's family, were born at this hospital during the 15 years that the Kennedys served here. Almost 100,000 babies have been born at that hospital since it opened 50 years ago. Now this is significant because when Pat and Marion Kennedy arrived here, the infant mortality rate was 50%. That means that one out of every two babies died in the birthing process. 
And furthermore, 35% of the mothers died giving birth. There's one story of a pregnant child bride who at the age of 14 had never been to school, never been taught about childbirth. She was going into labor. Her water broke. She thought she was dying. And so she walked kilometer after kilometer through the sand dunes because she had heard of this sweet couple in some hut somewhere that were helping the sick. So she arrived there, found Dr. Marion and sobbed in her arms in terror. Marion told her, sister, consider me your mother. This woman now in her 50s wrote in a newspaper a while back that she was so scared she would die, but Marion took her in like a daughter. A few years ago, out of love for these Christians, the Abu Dhabi government gave 135 million dirhams to build a new hospital building in Elaine. These Christians thought that maybe the government would slide that underneath the table to them, but instead the government called the press conference. At the press conference, they said, we're giving this money because of these Christians. Because we're thankful for these Christians. And, they, and the sheikh said that we're giving this money for two reasons. Number one, these Christians were here before there was oil. And number two, my father said they were good. See, it was important that the doctors didn't come here to make money. That they had arrived before there was oil simply to help the people. The ruler of Abu Dhabi once said to Pat and Marion publicly, if you had not come, our people might be extinct right now. These faithful brothers and sisters made a huge impact with their works, but also with their words. They came here to share the love of Jesus Christ, to proclaim the gospel, and they did. It opened doors to other work. If it wasn't for them, you and I may not be sitting here today worshiping Jesus together. How beautiful are the feet of Pat and Marion Kennedy who came here to preach the good news in Arabia. Over the next couple years after Pat and Marion had arrived, other churches were started in Elaine at the hospital and then across our country. The hospital earned trust in the ruler's eyes and Carl and Barb Schurbeck moved here. In 1966, they moved here because they saw that there was almost no Christian witness in Arabia. People told them, hey, your ministry is going to fail. Similar to what was told to Zwamer, they were, they were rebuked for coming. They were told, you're wasting your life. But in Carl's own words, he said, I heard those warnings, but I was stubborn and I wanted to follow Jesus' call to the nations. And so 50 years ago this year, they came. Carl pastored an Arabic church and ran several businesses to provide for their family. In Abu Dhabi, Evangelical Community Church was started in 1972 in their home. It soon outgrew their home, and so they rented a warehouse nearby, and it soon outgrew the warehouse. They petitioned the government, and because of their relationship with the government, they were given land for a church building. In 1988, Carl and Barb moved here to Dubai. Carl built a great friendship with the rulers here. He loved the rulers, and they loved him. And so through that friendship, God opened the doors for pastors to legally move here to do ministry. The way I'm here and have a visa to pastor this church is because of the Sherbeck's work in Arabia for 30 years. We exist because of their faithfulness. How beautiful are the feet of Carl and Barb Sherbeck who preach the good news in Arabia. Later on in Abu Dhabi, 
Another plot of land was given generously by the government for the church, and Cam Aronson became the pastor, and he served that church faithfully for 26 years. He kept building bridges in relationship to the government to keep us in good standing and to develop that friendship. How beautiful are the feet of Cam and Esther Ruth Aronson who preached the good news in Arabia. A few years after that, three families and their young children moved here to Dubai to minister to university students. They came here to boldly proclaim the good news to those students, and many came to faith, including the very first young man who came to faith and the very first young woman who came to faith who years later would eventually get married and then a decade later would take the reins and the leadership of that entire ministry. The gospel has been preached to thousands, dozens of campuses mobilized and churches have been strengthened with evangelistic zeal. How beautiful are the feet of these families who preach the good news to university students in Arabia. Years after that, the United Christian Church of Dubai across town hired a pastor named John Fulmer. He and Carrie and their three children have spent the past 10 years investing in that church in Jebel Ali. It's been highlighted by John's faithful expositional preaching, taking the point of the passage and preaching it as the point of the sermon. How beautiful are the feet of John and Carrie Fulmer who preach the good news in Arabia. Pastor Onsi Albert moved here from Egypt to accept the call to pastor the Arabic Evangelical Church. He and his wife Maggie left the comforts of Egypt and their homeland to come here to pour the gospel into the lives of Arabic speakers. How beautiful are the feet of Onsi and Maggie Albert who preach the good news in Arabia. And as you may know, in our country, you can't just build a church building You can't just rent out some warehouse or buy land. The government has to give you land graciously in order to build a religious building. And so it was astonishing when a few years ago, His Highness Sheikh Saud bin Saqir al-Qasimi, the ruler that Nissan prayed for this morning, when he graciously invited us into his palace and gave us land to build an evangelical church building in Ras al-Khaimah. We needed, a, we needed a pastor, and so we called Josh and Jenny Manley to move here. There was no money raised for the building. There were no people gathering up there yet. There were no blueprints done for the place. And yet they came in faith to minister up north. And now the church there is flourishing, and the building is being built. How beautiful are the feet of Josh and Jenny Manley who preached the good news in Arabia. The Lord has done a mighty work here. Emmanuel Church of Fujera, planted by Steve Jennings. Grace Church in Sharjah, planted by Anand Samuel. Grace Church in Abu Dhabi, recently planted by Steve Fuller. Ministry happening in Arabic and Farsi and Hindi and Urdu and Tagalog and other languages. Four classes of pastoral interns trained. And then we had this crazy dream of starting a pastoral training center to further training in Arabia. A place where pastors and other church leaders could be trained and equipped for ministry here without leaving the region. And in God's kindness, Scott and Angela Zeller crossed paths with our church. As they were leaving India, they accepted a call for Scott to direct our Gulf Training Center. We've now started a seminary and are equipping pastors in the region. How beautiful are the feet of Scott and Angela Zeller who preach the good news in Arabia. 
so much happening by God's grace. But friends, we want more. We want more. Redeemer Church of Dubai, we want more. My prayer for Redeemer Church over the next six years is that our church would be filled with beautiful feet. Would Jesus move through our church as we continue to take the gospel to the nations? Would Jesus send us into our workplaces as ambassadors? Would Jesus strengthen the faith of moms to seize the opportunity to share the gospel with other moms? Would Jesus encourage parents to witness day and night to their children? Would Jesus give us the faith we need as a church to send out the people we love to plant other churches? Would Jesus help us to send out our most gifted leaders to places that need the gospel? Would Jesus use this body to plant churches in places like Ajman and Alain and Barsha and Beirut and Kuwait and Bahrain? Would Jesus raise up some of us to learn new languages or to use the language that we know to proclaim the gospel to the least reached? Would Jesus equip us to train pastors and leaders to lead gospel movements in the 1040 window? Would Jesus bless us with generous hearts that are ready to give in abundance so that we would far exceed our church budget, so we can give more to church planting, so we could give more to other churches and missions around the world? Not dream of this truth reverberating throughout the peninsula. How beautiful are the feet of Redeemer Church of Dubai who preach the good news in Arabia. And friends, I know this is already happening. In fact, while I was standing, singing along with you earlier in the service, I just started weeping. I guess this is a little pastoral confession. Just started crying as I thought about what was happening here in the service. As I saw Channel up there leading our music, Channel came to faith here in Dubai. And then I saw Chris come up here to lead our service. And I realized that several years ago, Chris came to faith here in Dubai. And then I saw Nissan Matthew come up here and lead our prayer petition, one of our elders. And I realized that Nissan came to faith here in Dubai. Oh, friends, it is happening. But friends, we want more. Let's pray for more fruit in this place. Oh, Redeemer Church of Dubai, happy sixth anniversary. It's a joy to think about what God has done. It's a joy to think about what God will do. And I want you to know as as we close, I love you. I love you. I love this church. You're my favorite people in the world, and I am so proud of you. Now let's go together and make disciples of all nations for years to come. Let's pray to that end. Father, we love you. We love you. Thank you for saving us by the blood of Jesus. Surely you are worthy to receive worship from every person. Thank you for the work you've done on the Arabian Peninsula. We are amazed at your faithfulness over these past decades to bring fruit in this place. Father, it's just the spirit of worship as we just reflected on what you've done this past century. And, oh, Father, we ask for more. We ask for much more, more fruit, more salvation, more churches. Help us be beautiful feet of gospel proclamation to the world. And would a great multitude come to faith through our witness of your grace.
We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.